Yeah, 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 of course. That's an outcast reference. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, y'all. Welcome to Who All Gonna Be There, a podcast by artists for artists. We talk cash shit about everything. Sometimes we get messy. And it all counts as art because we say so. I'm Mel. I'm a black, as the non-blacks say. <laughs> I'm a woman. And I work in the arts. So you know how I do to get by. All the jobs. This week, I'm a pet therapist, an archivist for abandoned Stephen King novels, Ooh. and I'm also a cheerleading <laughs> consultant for the East Compton Clovers. Period. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Max, Maximiliano. Um, I changed my intro, but I never seemed to write it down. And then <laughs> Melanie always has such better ones. Um, I'm the other half of NTP, the less prepared one. Um, <laughs> But let's see what else am I doing. Um, I make art. I hang out. I've been drinking wine with Melanie and Ella. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, how to support NTP? You're sitting there wondering, asking. Um, we have a Patreon page. Exclusive podcast episodes, which are only available behind the paywall. So we get extra messy. Extra, extra. Mm-hmm. We have an Etsy store where you can buy buttons, totes zines koozies hats um kofis kofis and some things are out of stock so don't be don't be don't worry about it um subscribe to us on itunes um leave a review hopefully a good one but whatever follow us on soundcloud spotify youtube stitcher facebook instagram um links in the show notes uh at nat turner project um also, if you have an arts-related question, email us at netturnerproject0 at gmail.com, and we will read it on here and try our best to answer it. We take non-art questions, too. Mm-hmm. If you have a tooth problem, if you don't know <laughs> where your dog is, we answer all questions. Um, what else? Also, I've been the, the thing I've been getting feedback on is that we should 
find a way to bring our podcast to Spotify because it seems like a lot of people mm-hmm. listen to products. It is on Spotify. Oh. I already took care of that. Melanie Stevens out here crushing the game. <laughs> Nat Turner Projects on Spotify. Thank you, Melanie Stevens. Um, yeah, hell yeah. Um, so there you go. Yeah, that's a moot point. Um, okay. Uh, Do you want to talk about Rent Party? Yeah, talk about Rent Party. Um, I need to turn up or increase my text size because I can't read this. Um, <clears throat> talk about Rent Party. We have Rent Party 3 coming up March 21st. Um, at Alberta Abbey, 126 Northeast Alberta, um, at Babe Black Arts Ecology of Portland, um, shout out Sharita Town, um, there will be karaoke, so you can, you can shout out your feelings, you can sing those sad songs, you can sing those bangers, um, there will be vodka, donated vodka, shout out New Deal Distillery, um, so we'll be making drinks, um, and special drinks, and drinking them, and drinking them, which is important there are also there will also be raffles for tote bags zines art um and some uh previous ntp publications including our um, catalog testimony um and our critical zine awful um in light of recent health scares and concerns there will be opportunities to purchase raffle tickets um via venmo or paypal if you do not feel comfortable coming to the event of rent party so more info to follow about that on our social media accounts and also one of our raffle tickets winners will be able to go to dinner with nat turner projects Melly stevens and myself at fogo de chow um if you win that dinner or if you win that ticket yes so there you go yeah All right, so you may have heard a third voice in here. Um, Tonight, we are fortunate enough to have a guest who, as some would say, has a lot of irons on the fire within the Portland arts community. Uh, We have with us today today Ella Ray. Welcome. Hello, hi. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, This is Ella Ray's bio. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ella Ray is an arts worker whose practice focuses on process. Most recently, this has manifested in the production of texts, environments, partnerships, and programs that explore the race- relationship between community and black contemporary art. That is true. That's me. I think that's me. Yeah. My bio changes all the time. As do all of ours. Right. It's mm-hmm. in fluctuation. Right. I, I think I fight that, um, the, the sort of, the issue with the bio is this tool of commodification by having the most generic bio possible Absolutely. and using it for everything. Oh, yeah. I have, like, <laughs> an, on my notes app on my computer, uh-huh. I just have, like, different bios that I can just, like, <laughs> copy-paste. I, don't, I hope this doesn't discredit me as much <laughs> anything, but, like, I'm like, ooh, I need a bio for... I need a bio for it. And then, like, I can get as, like, conceptual and loose (laughs) as possible. Then I can get, like, really granular. And I can tell you where I went to school. And I can Uh, tell you where I was born. And, like, those things. And, like, for for, for organizations that are into those sorts of things. Yes. And then there's people who are like, I do not care Mm -hmm. what 
papers you have in any capacity. I care about what you think about X, Y, or Z. Yeah. So, like, I like to run the gamut nice. in my ability to explain myself, but I never think it, like, fully... Bios are hard. Bios I don't know hard. if it ever fully encapsulates, like, what I think about and what I do, especially because I'm not a visual artist. Yeah. So, there's that. <laughs> Is that true? Are you not a visual artist? Uh, <laughs> I mean... I'm not a visual artist in the sense that I do not have a studio practice. Okay. Um, I was not that like going to school for visual arts means you're a visual artist in any capacity because no. Um, right. But I didn't go to school for visual arts. I went to school for art history and critical theory. So I more so like exist in thoughts and feelings as art, sounds, environments, things of that nature are the, is the art that I produce. Yeah. Um, but, like, I make things. I just don't show them to anyone. Yeah. Like, I have sketchbooks and videos that I work on. And I've messed around with sound art. And, like, I want to think about performance as something that I have the capacity to do. But I don't think I'll... I, I don't think I would show it to people. Which sounds mm. kind of silly and funny now that I say it into a microphone. No, I think that's better to not show it. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think you might be biased, Matt. <laughs> I feel like you have like a whole vault of work that you just don't show people. I think that's. I think sometimes you're like, why am, am I making this work for other people? And I think I like this idea of that. Like maybe we're all making work and it never gets seen. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. Actually, I find deep pleasure in the things that I make that no one knows um, that they exist. Um, whether that's like because they're funny and they're like kind of stupid, or because I think there's something there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe they should exist within the context of others, but I'm also was tra trained. I used air quotes. You can't see me um, <laughs> as an art historian. So I'm also like fearful of like real criticism, yeah. you know, like I think about some of the feedback I've given people and I'm like, damn, could I have <laughs> taken that? You know, like we're huh. taught to be so we're taught to be kind of like intense. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't know if all art historians have the ability to take it back. Interesting. That so, would be like a different class. Yeah. <laughs> so we've already kind of like dovetailed into what I was going to ask you first, but I guess continuing on that path mm -hmm. of your journey as an artist, because I consider you to be an artist. Oh, thank you. That feels, I'll add that to my bio. Okay. LRA artist. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and this is a question we ask every artist that comes through here. Okay. I want to start at your beginning and kind of unpack how you got to this point in your career. Mm -hmm. So first things first, what is your art's origin story? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I don't think about it. Um, I think I was lucky. I was lucky in the sense that I was like raised around very creative people who probably are artists too but don't call themselves that like my mother is a photographer in like such a gorgeous way and like has this whole practice and had this whole practice and is an archivist in the sense that there's just like hordes of photos I grew up around prints and like my mom taking 35 millimeter and like medium format like 
it was kind of amazing that my baby photos are that fire. Um, and like, like, no, I'm like, you did a good job. And like, my dad is a record collector and like a house and dance hall DJ. So like music and sound has always just been like, I just grew up around a, a lot of loud shit and a lot of photos. Mm-hmm. And I was in a very like creative space, like, and it was always okay for me to want to be into the arts. And it probably would have been weird if I was like, no, I don't want to be into the arts. Because my parents, like, work non-artistic jobs, but when they come home, they still kind of en- they still kind of engage. So I think it starts with my household. Um, and I, I don't know. I grew up painting, drawing, somersaulting, playing around and weird, record, like... I was a kid who recorded myself all the time and then would edit the videos. Like I figured out how to like, I grew up in the era of like MySpace, YouTube, all that business. Oh yeah. So I like learned how to make like little edits and then download music from LimeWire and add things. And um, I've just always been like, oh, I'll Google it. Or, oh, I'll get on AOL. <laughs> I guess then before we were like all using Google pretty heavy. Um or like Bing, I guess that was a search engine at one point. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think it starts in the home, and then me just choo- choosing to want to be creative, but also feeling like it poured out of me. Mm-hmm. Like as a very emotional person, art is sometimes the only way that I can communicate a lot of what I'm going through. Um, so yeah, then I went to college and they were like, what do you want to major in? And I was like, there's no way I can have studio practice because I just didn't believe that that was like my capacity. Yeah. And I was so into art history. I found out about that website when I was in high school called Smart History, where you can take those little like quizzes about art history and like, I'm a big nerd and just like, <laughs> I was like, I want to learn about stained glass. And <laughs> then went to college and found out, I went to PSU, found out that you could major in that and ran with it um, and love art history, which is a funny and strange and complicated thing. It's very complicated because I also hate art history, mm-hmm. but I love it technically. Um, and then... I think, like, my critical theory in, like, queer studies, women's studies, black studies side is also an art practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's an art to what people are thinking, writing, doing around all that. Um, yeah. And then I just started, like, being an unpaid intern places, sadly. <laughs> and then finesse people into paying me to do and think about some of those things. And I'm still trying to finesse. I mean, congratulations on getting the bag in the art industry because uh, I don't know that I have a bag. (laughs) I have like a coin purse. Okay, (laughs) Um, I have like a crown royal bag full of quarters, but it's not exactly like a bag quite yet. But I so appreciate that. No, like I, I think about it a lot. There's in Portland, there's not a lot of institutions to even work at to try to get a bag at so like I feel very lucky that yeah that it's been an option and I understand to some capacity how privileges have played into those options as well yeah and I like to recognize I like to recognize that what kind of privilege are you speaking of um I mean like as a light-skinned black person I think when a lot of folks are 
like with the interest in black contemporary art right now i think a lot of the time colorism plays a role into who we look to to speak about black art Mm -hmm. to who we look to to contextualize blackness who we look to to be the voice when in reality mm, we got to do something else i think there's a lot more voices that need to be heard and i like under i also understand that like i have a college degree yeah um and I can play certain games and certain roles um, that don't compromise things for me, that may compromise things for other people. Um, And yeah, I like to think about how that plays a role in art. Yeah. A lot. I think it plays a huge role. Yeah. I mean, I think you brought up something that Max and I think about a lot with Nat Turner Project and like the idea of privilege, because I think we both are... somewhat aware of our privilege like we've got the educational privilege we've got class privilege absolutely um and we're aware of the ways in which like each of our brands of like what i like to call palatable blackness sure are commodified and used and tokenized and like we're constantly trying to scheme on ways to use that to yeah. pass it down absolutely Jay Dodd called us a museum black Museum Black. That's right. She did. She did call us Museum Black. Museum I'll take that. Black. I'll take that. I'll take that. So bad. <laughs> no, but like I think about that. I think about that too. Is like um, with institu- particularly like with institutional critique mm-hmm. and people being like, oh, there's not enough Black folks working in institutions. They listen to that and then they absorb all that critique and kind of like cherry pick which. Um, versions archetypes i'm not sure which word to use of blackness to engage with Mm -hmm. what what gets to proliferate and how do we fuck with that system Mm -hmm. how do we use that privilege to be like okay my white proximity whether that's class whether that's how i look whether that's da 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 da, there's many ways that we can be in proximity to whiteness um how do we finesse how do we get a bag big enough that it's for everybody for the community for everyone so then we don't have to get a bag from an institution eventually right that's and then furthermore how do we do that and still stay alive right i don't know that's the third let me know let me know (laughs) (laughs) i i cannot extrapolate on that because i don't know it's so i mean it's I mean, you as a fellow person who also has 50 11 jobs like 50 11 jobs I, I'm i counting them in my head right now. I won't list them off. Okay. Um, How many jobs do you have? At one point, I had five. That's fucking ridiculous. I And that's the norm here for most of the black artists that I know in Portland. Yeah, I think so. I'm always hustling something. Um, I think it comes from a fear of, yes, I grew up in a creative household, but my they also let me know that like art wasn't going to make me money. Same you know they were like draw perform be an actor be a dj do that but no you're gonna be broke um not that that's not true (laughs) not that that's not true but it's like that chases me and i um i don't know i think a lot of black artists in portland that i've talked to we all have this we all have the fear yeah of running out of funds to do the thing and i also do jobs that are not creative yeah you know to fund my ability to do those like seven hour a week creative jobs three hour a week creative jobs you know it's like sacrifices are made but i also receive a lot of i see some of these opportunities as blessings 
in a non-religious way. Hmm. Yeah. Um, um, some of this like brings up one of my like official questions I had, and I kind of like quoted um, some of your interview from the Oregon Art Watch Vision twenty twenty. Oh. But I feel like because of like we are already saying the stuff that I don't need to read the quote. But um, <laughs> so I can I feel like I can just go straight to For my sure. question. Um, when you're talking about like this idea of uh, of like acceptable black and um, being like light skin, and then like being the person that like institutions hire to fill like a black position and a black role um and then like thinking like about myself occupying like a similar boat and like thinking about these like same questions and then i'm like wondering like um does that like fall up i know and you're like already mentioned like ways to um to like use that privilege or use that space but then i'm i also like i guess some part of my question is like wondering um what other things can be done or should we be doing like like sometimes i'm wondering like because of this, should I actually be, like, acting out more, acting up more, mm-hmm. being, like, more disruptive? Like, if I can, like, get away with these things more, should I be, like, pushing it more? Should I be the one trying to be this, like, firebrand or, um, mm. you know, doing these things, like, being the being this disruptor, being this... Um... Yeah. I, I honestly don't know. If that's you, maybe yes. But if that's not you, I don't know. Um, my thing, like, one of the most tangible things I think of is... I want, I'd love to get to a point where I can give up job, like where I can be like, no, I don't want that job, but I know someone else who can have that job. Mm-hmm. Or I know someone else who is way more, like I know people who are way more qualified than me, but they might not have it on like on a resume, on a CV type thing. That's what I like. Um, I've done a lot of introspect, like thinking about the ways that we like, instead of like give up power because i don't believe i have power to give to people i believe there's power already in people and we need to acknowledge that and highlight that because like that's some white bullshit to be like i'm giving you your power (laughs) it's more like how can we acknowledge that there's firepower in in lots of people right um i think about it a lot too and i don't know if i have yet to come to that answer but yeah i think disruption if you can get away with it I can get away with it a little bit is important. If you can like ruffle feathers in a sense in that it's generative for the people you're trying to put on generative beyond kind of like a fakey, not fakey, but like a surface level representational politics. That's when real shit. Oh, can I cuss? I'm sorry. Oh yeah. This is explicit. Uh, (laughs) Triple X. Um, That's why we're doing the whole podcast because we can say whatever the fuck we want. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. I had to ask. Um, But yeah, if something comes of it, I think, I think that's the point. And maybe that normalizes disruption and a tear in normality. Um, But I, I don't know. I, I, I feel I feel some type of way about that question and I don't know if I have a direct answer and I probably should. Um, yeah, like something I've been, it's something I'm definitely like thinking about and like, I feel like more and more like thinking about. And then, um, I was recently reading, um, the black Jacobins, um, Mm -hmm. about like the Haitian revolution. And, um, it seems like so many points in history is that like light skinned, um, black people, like mixed black people have like been, you know, this, like, buffer, this, like, kind of, like, separating thing that, like, white people use to help, like, further oppress, like, other black people. Yes. And then how it seems like so many times in histories, 
it's gone the opposite way where like light skinned people end up like siding with white people and like having more Absolutely. things that seem like oh, I was like, oh, this is more um benefits me more than this other thing and it's like how does that how does that turn where like when you look at it, it yeah like in the past where it's like it's usually been the way where it's like the opposite of that you know i mean i think light-skinned people light-skinned black people mix black people um are incredibly susceptible to the indoctrination of white like white supremacy and carrying that and kind of being like you said like this buffer who's enacting violence onto black people who aren't mixed who aren't light-skinned and like i think that shows up in the art world in very particular and very dangerous ways and like yeah i've been thinking about that a lot and what does it mean to like i don't know like we were talking about earlier i don't really believe in allyship but like (laughs) what um i don't know we have some thinking to do and like act action to take beyond thinking i think as arts people we'd be like (laughs) we're gonna hypothesize about this but like no what actually the fuck are we going to do because something needs to be done Mm -hmm. um and colorism is real and that beige rage (laughs) stop if you're referencing this mirror period (laughs) i love that i i like i i try i try to like source it and be like all right like what's my interview style right (laughs) wait does that make me jesus (laughs) (laughs) i'll take that no but like i thought about that i mean to some degree to some degree Oh my god. I appreciate that Jesus Jesus is constantly growing and it's yes. evolving. The brand is uh, growing. Yes. So is his fashion. Yeah. Uh, actually, is it? his beard has gotten yeah. much better. Like, has he, it? He, he, yes. He's, oh, he has to be paper thin. And now he's like coming out with these like accessories and the yeah, the things and the the and Pharaoh's wearing all the jewelry. Right. Hella jewelry. <laughs> I like how we got from like this very intense conversation about like colorism in black contemporary art. Me and Max being like, let's hypothesize and get to work. And then be like, more than just hypothesize. No, we're doing things. And it's like, actually, but we're going to talk about Jesus and Mero too. No, I love that. That's the balance I try to strike. Yeah. I like that. I like that um, recently. Um, word came out about Jesus's uh, romantic life. Okay. And, and, and like, black women were like, we don't care. We just like that he seems to respect black women. See, what's his romantic life? I mean, he has a long-term partner who is a white woman. Sweet I mean, low-key, I already knew that. Oh, really? Shit. But also, I thought he was- of course, black Twitter CSI did what they did. <laughs> black and Twitter. then found some pictures. Um, and then black women collector were like, yeah, so? Well, to be honest, I usually assume that, but like, (laughs) that could be a different podcast. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I I I think, yeah. (laughs) As Ella pops their gum. (laughs) It's a Starburst, actually. It's a red Starburst. Do you have any other Starburst? No, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have eaten that in front of y'all. Like, rule number one. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I didn't bring no candy to share. For me. Um, let's see. Um, okay. I I do want to bring up a quote from, um, one of the articles in which you were featured. Um, (laughs) where you asked about, since we were talking about that, 
sort of, um, when you were asked about whether there was a specificity to Portland BIPOC artists. Mm. Um, and I think you very eloquently captured a whole mood here and would love to hear you expand on this, but here it is. <clears throat> yes, yes, strong yes. I think it comes back to what I was talking about earlier, the ongoing erasure of black, indigenous, um, and communities of color. Not that any of those are mutually exclusive, but mm -hmm. there's something really interesting about the way in which people create here, knowing that the rest of the world thinks we don't exist. There is something special and incredibly challenging and fruitful to create in a place where people are watching you and also ignoring you. There's something you can feel that is different here. There aren't as many institutions and there aren't as many resources. We are put on the map in some ways, but also not. I think we are dancing between the light and the shadow, which produces people who work incredibly hard and do what they want. I said that. Dope. <laughs> I, agree. I, like, I agree with myself. Um, yeah. I mean, expanding upon that, I, we were kind of talking a little bit earlier before the podcast, just thinking about, like, the idea that there's, like, no Black people in Portland is incredibly bothersome to me. Um, I don't know who that serves. I mean, I know who that serves. That serves white people. Yeah. That serves anti-Black non-black POC mm -hmm. who are also engaging in white supremacy who are also engaging in gentrification in some capacities obviously that gets a little bit more tricky but um yeah I think I'm from Oregon too so I might not be like the best person to answer this question I'm very biased but there's something kind I of think, cool. I think you're the best person to answer oh, this question. So. <laughs> but I think there's something kind of cool about Portland being a little bit off the contemporary art map in some capacity. I um, I talk to my friends who live in other places like Los Angeles and New York mm -hmm. who are like, there's like this pressure to produce something great and grand about blackness mm. when Portland black artists, um, and I'm speaking specifically to blackness because that's what I know and I would prefer for someone else of the other communities to speak, speak about their relationship to that. But like, I think they're, it's kind of amazing to fly under the radar. There's a little less pressure to be like prolific in the very contained sense, in the very like sellable sense. There's a lot of black artists here um, that I know and I don't know who are doing really cool shit, who are challenging um, concepts of identity, challenging concepts of representation, art history, form. Um, sound subject all of those things whether it's through writing or dance or poetry um i'm just incredibly interested in what's happening here and um while i do believe it should get more attention nationally internationally whatever that means um i also understand the dangers of being under the microscope um and i do not understand that from the sense of like i've been under the microscope i would never want it to seem that way um but I understand it in the sense that I've like watched the dissolution of artists and young artists in other places, young or old artists in other places, um, because of that pressure. Um, I don't know. I sometimes people are like, I wish there was more coverage of Portland arts, and I'm like, shouldn't we be listening to the what? 
people in our community think about it as well. Like I'm super stoked when young black writers get to write about black art mm-hmm. in Portland. I'm trying to figure out how we facilitate those opportunities more um, because that's what I care about, particularly as it becomes more trendy to talk about Portland, you know, to talk about the history of Portland, which I find interesting um, and I find important. But like, if we're going to talk about that, why do I care? why do I care what someone in California has to say about that? Um, and that's not to discredit the like bag that comes with someone from a big publication and talking about that. But like, how do we get to the point that young black Portland writers get to be at those big publications talking about Portland? I just see it as cyclical and like, what are the building blocks that we need? Or maybe we don't need to invest in those big publications. Maybe we need to put on something else from Portland. Hmm. I don't know. I think there's interesting avenues to think about that quote. And I kind of want to be like, I don't agree with that. But then I do agree with it. <laughs> I don't know. I like combat myself a lot and I'm very contradictory. So we will see that flesh out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to like to think about what you just said and think about like this idea of like trying to like foster um, young black artists in Portland to like um, think about Portland and to, and to think about like, oh yeah, Portland is like sufficient in order to like what we can think about. Like it doesn't have to like, I don't have to think about something sure. else. I can think about Portland. But then like how how do you foster that with what also seems to be this like um, constant like exodus from Portland mm. where like people are always like leaving Portland. It's like how do we create a Portland ah. if people are leaving Portland? I don't know. <laughs> I know because I feel like we're Maybe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we're experiencing kind of a mass exodus currently. I feel like we, I've been in Portland, I mean, I've been in Oregon for 23 years, but I've been in Portland for five of those years. Um, And I've seen the, if you could see my hands, I'm kind of making like a chart thing. Um, (laughs) But I've seen the ebb and flow a little bit. And I think we're kind of in like a we're going to down spiral and people are leaving for the opportunity. People are leaving for fellowships, scholarships, travel, jobs elsewhere. Um, So I don't know because we're also in a place where black artists aren't getting opportunities to sustain a practice here. And that's what deeply concerns me Um, because yes, we can want to invest in folks, but like, unless we're investing dollars in these folks to feed themselves, um, I do not blame anybody for leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the shame, like, I've heard a lot of people get very shamey about black folks leaving Portland, and I'm like, really? Yeah, like, particularly black folks from Oregon, it can get a little, it can get a little, it can get a little messy. But I also think Portland will be here. Go do your thing. maybe some of us can figure out how people can do their thing here too uh what that sustainability looks like um but i don't know because i also think about making my exit too um and i worry i also worry that like if i don't make my exit soon am i gonna be here forever but is that a bad thing i don't know it's like this i ping pong about it do y'all have thoughts and feelings about that exodus as well yeah, I mean, I am generally of the mind that I'm never going to be in another black person's pocket. Mm. Like, it's hard out here. We're at the bottom of, the, we're at, like, close to the bottom of the wage disparity um, is, issues in this country. 
and then you add in the historical element of structural inequity, we need to do what we need to do to survive. So I don't question that. That to me, that doesn't, that's not on the person. That's on the community that couldn't keep them here and sustain them. Because mm. everyone I know who's working, who's black and working in the arts is like you, Max, or like you, Ella. We're like busting our asses working five jobs. None of us are getting paid nearly what our white counterparts are getting paid. Don't remind and me. We're and doing, we're doing the shit at least 20 times better than they are. Yes. And getting none of the credit. It's yes. fucking ridiculous and it's infuriating. Right. Um, and disheartening, and I, I honestly don't blame anyone for leaving to try to find something better. At the same time, I mean, the Portland Black Arts community is the richest, most brilliant, um, most inspiring group of people I've ever known. So if I were to leave, it would severely hurt me. And I'm coming from someone who worked corporate for 15 years in sure. Atlanta, which was surrounded by black people, um, but I couldn't find a job in the arts. I couldn't find a way to get through that, to get into that world, um, much less a job. So, I don't know. I mean, that was an easier life, technically, but I couldn't do the thing that I loved. Mm. I feel like also the black arts community here is very willing to help like yes we scoop each other up we put each other on all the time like some of the like dms emails texts like carrier pigeon notes <laughs> i get from the homies and the homies homies who i don't really even like mm -hmm. know that well who are trying to be like yo ella i thought of you for this thing or i know you know someone it might not be your thing but like pass this along the way that we take care of each other is not to ever be discredited that's what i like like to go to bat for yes um i respect everybody's decision to make the movements that they need to make to make the money that they need to make i don't know people i don't know anybody's yeah. life i don't i don't want people to know what bills i have so i don't want to know what other bills <laughs> people have but like there's a level of care yeah that should never be underestimated yeah yeah. Oh, that just made me. I'm like, oh, care. <laughs> what about you, Max? What do you think? Um, yeah, I definitely like feel all those things that um you both are saying. Um, I think on some other level, I start feeling that thing that like I don't want to be the last person to like leave a party. So if I start like getting the feeling that like <laughs> mm. all like my friends and everybody else is leaving, I don't want to be the last person here. But, um, so sometimes I have to like battle that like within myself is like, do I want to leave or is it just like that energy that I feel like other people are leaving and it's like that thing of like not wanting to be left behind or like sure. thinking about Portland without like your friends or these other people. Um, <laughs> kind of like a lame way, but um, um, so like I think there's that aspect, but then yeah, definitely like um, I've definitely like found like the Portland like black arts community to be extremely like supportive and helpful and like I love them and like all of that and like think they have so many people like out here like making brilliant art. So like that's definitely like something that like I, I'm super into um but yeah like still feeling like being here for like years and feeling like you know in some ways getting like a lot of like traction but not like, getting the same kind of traction that like goes into my bank account um, <laughs> you know like so like that kind of thing That's is like well where's like where's the money you know um yeah and that course. definitely is like always at the end of the day the thing that like will make you want to stay or like leave a place mm -hmm. and I feel like um yeah like I you know 
That's very real. Where's Where's the money? Is the bit is a big yeah. ticket item. But um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know because like I like I am all for like the idea of like investing in a thing and like helping build a thing and like you know that that turn project we've been. I feel like we've been building that turn project and investing in that and like. I feel like um, for like yeah for the stuff we do for other people is maybe something, but I feel like that has like actually been returned so much more mm. that like um, all the people we've met through Nat Turner Project, all the yeah. people we've worked with, just like hanging out with people, meeting people, I feel like has been so much more rewarding than like maybe the way we've even helped other people. Yeah. To me, that's like that's the shit I love, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. I love that. <laughs> no, that's so, like, I think a lot of people don't, a lot of people are still struggling to think of it in that capacity. Think about how, like, giving to others the gifts that you get when you're, like, help, like, y'all do drinking gourd. Mm -hmm. And, like, how that could possibly enrich y'all's practices or right. enrich the relationships that you have or community or thinking about what it means to give someone a fellowship. Like, not a lot of people are just, giving black people fellowships here that's incredibly important and like what does that mean for your own relationship to art and your own relationship to like people in general i i love thinking about stuff like that i don't think there's real answers but yeah. it's nice to hear people talk about that yeah i do think it's interesting that like when white people ask us about that they ask us about like drinking gourd in that turner project they ask us as if somehow this is separate or compartmentalized from our art practice. But oh. when black people ask about it, there's this understanding that it's built into our art practice. Yeah. And I think that's I would, fascinating. I would hope. Yeah. For that to be disconnected would be kind of a, a little bit alarming to me. Yeah. Again, I don't yeah. make anyone's yum, make your mind do your thing. But like, I don't see how that's not an extension right. of community building of thinking about aesthetics of thinking about how we imagine a different reality imagine the otherwise mm -hmm. through fellows I don't know. interesting <laughs> so what are some projects you're working on for 2020 mm -hmm. In this Gosh. time of great precarity. In this time of precarity. Um, I, I'm working on a project about house music and techno and its relationship to my, like, my family. Mm -hmm. um, my dad, like I said earlier, is a vinyl collector, a house DJ, a dance hall DJ. And I'm super interested in how house music informs movement in a um like informs spaces and places created um on a dance floor as like cheesy and madonna as that sounds um and house and techno being black like that is black music um i am doing an archival and research project on that um that includes my dad's dj flyers and like ephemera um and how, I don't know, there's like parallels between how paper objects go away and like nights go away mm -hmm. and just the relationship of how like black folks take up those like transitive spaces. 
Um, so that's taking shape in both written form and hopefully another kind of form that people get to come to. That's very vague. It is very vague because <laughs> we got to find a space to do all that. Um, I have big ambitions around this project. I think like sound and like drum and bass and jungle and all of those things so inform how I think about visual, like my visuals. And I'm interested in how those kind of like intersect with each other. So I'm still kind of in my like R&D phase, but just like archiving my dad's shit yeah. right now and like thinking about it as really personal um instead of being like oh this is everyone's everything it can be but it's also mine which i have a very hard time with yeah. i have a hard time like taking ownership over like writing and research i want it for some reason i want it to be for everyone um and i'm like trying to lean into the personal a little bit more so this project is like incredibly personal and brings up sights sounds smells feelings dances that like feel like mine and just thinking about how that opens up or maybe doesn't yeah um so i think that takes shape as a zine but like my dad's got a lot of flyers i'm doing a lot of research so i'm mostly like heavily thinking about that and heavily thinking about also i'm like thinking about what youth work in black contemporary art looks like like how young people are involved hmm. and um yeah, I think that's uh, it's hard because there aren't a lot of spaces and places that, I mean, they might say young people can come, um, but they can come. Are they welcome? Do they feel a part of the community? Do they feel as though they can ask questions safely and engage? Sometimes that isn't what should happen. Sometimes it's just grown folks and that's okay. <laughs> but also I'm just thinking about like, if I knew that some of this stuff was happening at 13, 14, 15, I would have been mesmerized. I didn't know. I had no idea. I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Some of the stuff wasn't happening in Eugene, Oregon. So I'm dedicating 2020 to thinking about how young people, um, how we can actively support young people in engaging in contemporary art um, beyond just teaching them this kind of like white way of engaging. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what they actually think or them being like, I don't like this and that being okay. Yeah. But, um, and also helping resource young people producing their own work. Um, so thinking a lot about that, uh, that's what 2020 looks like, which are two very different things. I'm like techno and <laughs> young people, but. But they are connected. They are connected. I think I'll always be attracted to that like, I don't know, there's like a rhythm to both of those things. There's yeah. like an energy. Um, yeah, I just want young people to have a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, the, if we are on Desus and Marrow, the thing over my head says, my, my bodega sign says, I want young people to have a chance. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm working on. Hopefully having less jobs. Okay. Two. Oh yeah. Consolidate. I want to consolidate my jobs. jobs. Yeah. I'm trying to finesse someone into being like, no, it can be two jobs. Less <laughs> yes. jobs, more money. <laughs> exactly. Period. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. That should be the bodega. That sign. is my bodega sign. That is my rainbow. Less jobs, more money. Yes. Um. <laughs> less emails. Less jobs, more money. Yeah. Um. But yeah, those are two things that I'm like actively thinking about doing research around. Um, hopefully making real beyond my Twitter drafts, mm. you know. Yeah. I, That's where a lot of ideas live, though. 
that's where the good ideas live. <laughs> Shanita oh. had me wallpaper this thing for Bape and all my ideas. I kept like running back to my phone to be like, write that in your Twitter drafts. <laughs> and then there's a gold mine in there now. Do you have like, um, yeah, I know you said Twitter drafts, but do you also have like a bunch of like uh, Instagram drafts? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you were talking about you, the, the project you want to do with your like dad's music and stuff. And then, um, before the podcast, we talked a little bit about like a uh, chopped and screwed and like a uh, mm. southern rap. Oh. Um, there's actually right now at the Contemporary Museum of Art in Houston a DJ Screw <gasps> exhibit. Are you serious? Yeah, that's like I opened really March twentieth or March March twenty twenty, and it's like up until online? maybe. Um, I guess it's like a two-part ex- ex- uh, exhibition, and like I think this is the second part. Mm, but, um, that yeah. makes me so excited. <laughs> DJ Screw's music absolutely changed my life as a child. I remember being like, I love where like horror and fe- like mm-hmm. fear kind of wraps into like southern yeah. rap music. Um, it's and, like its own kind of southern gothic, right? Mm, yeah. Yes, and okay. how like the gothic can sometimes be inherently black Mm. Um, and how horror as genre is inherently black there's like um yeah it's like black vernacular in some ways and i mean i was like drawn to it as a child and still like listen to screw tapes when i'm like furiously writing some bland art history bullshit (laughs) it feels good yeah like yeah I don't know. You don't hear it a lot in Portland. Growing up, uh, growing up in Texas, I remember like um, you know listening to like Trap and Screwed way before. I feel like um, I had that like personal understanding, and then I remember the first time I smoked like a blunt, like Mm. uh, dipped in lean, and I was like, oh. And then I was just like, I was (laughs) like, (laughs) you know, like those moments where you have that like, and you're like, "Mm, connection. I'm finally like maybe in the mindset of the maker, and you're like, oh. Yeah. You know, sometimes, like, occasionally you'll say something that makes me realize how much of a nerd I truly am. No, you're a nerd. I tell you that all the time. I love that. We need a balance. We're striking a balance here. I'm somewhere in between. Because you said blunt, and I was like, yes. And you said lean, and I was like, ah! <laughs> I know about all that. You had me in the first half. You had me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. Yes. Stop. That is one of my favorite videos of all time of that young football play. No, I love that. But no, I totally under like yeah, chopped and screwed music is like e- e- there's a magic swampy deep dirty something. It's hot and it's sweaty. Yes. Yeah, and like, like you boot. talked about like <laughs> you asked and you talked about disruption and to me chopping screw feels like some yes. sort of disruption. Yes. It's like a glitch it's a glitch yeah. in normality. Yeah. Which yeah, maybe we need actually not maybe, we should be glitching reality yeah. in order to help people get free. Yeah. Like that's what really is important. Yeah, I I love southern rap music oh. i it just like does something for me i also can listen to ludacris till the cows come home like oh, luda like the visuals <laughs> I mean, luda's like a socialite who donates to charities and shit now and it's like oh, a family man but i remember i remember peak ludacris and it fills me with joy yeah, it, yeah <laughs> three six mafia like 
there oh, is like yeah. when they were triple six mafia and it was very demonic it was very yeah. like devil <laughs> and i remember being like oh i don't know if i should listen to this and play <laughs> or even some of these younger rapper rappers from like south florida who are making like very kind of like I personally don't love it, but I let the youngins do what they want to do. It's like kind of screamo. It's very intense. And like, uh, there's a guy, his name's Rob Banks. Um, There is all of these like young boys from Florida who like are painting their nails black and their hair is very long. And they're wearing like pants with the chain, like the chains, but they're rapping. But it feels very like um, metal and goth. And there's like... um, I'm like, y'all got some emotion. I'm glad you have a space to let it out. And I also feel that way about Trapped and Screwed. There's like an emotion. I mean, yeah, it is about leaning, being on that couch, riding slow, all of that. But it, there is also like something that's kind of personal mm-hmm. there. I don't know. I love that shit. Yeah. I would listen to it all the time. But have then it kind of drives me crazy. <laughs> have y'all seen that um, series on Netflix, Hip Hop Evolution? They have yeah. an episode on um dj screw i haven't watched any oh yet, i need but, to watch that oh. yeah they, they have like a bunch of good episodes on like southern hip-hop like from different regions oh dope yeah i need to watch that yeah yeah oh yeah well um i know you have to leave soon so it's not i mean we can go a little bit longer it's okay bad. don't worry okay um <clears throat> let's see do you have a question max i was like i had i like kind of like got in the mindset i was like oh i'll just like start like maybe one last question slash parting words okay. so I, I didn't want to like super jump into like deep it's okay more questions. we got till nine but, oh okay all right um okay then if, then <laughs> this is gonna require some editing <laughs> um when you were talking about earlier about like wanting to like teach the kids about like art that's something i'm like sometimes i've been like more and more like struggling with Same. is that um like this idea that like Right, even, like, when we think about art, even if we're, like, all right, we'll take art and then, like, make it about, like, blackness or something like that, it's still using this, like, Western, like, mm-hmm. European idea of, like, what is art, like, what is beauty, like, what are these, like, all of these things, this whole, like, system and infrastructure, then sometimes I wonder, like, is this something we should even be teaching to people or even, like, passing on or even telling, like, oh, no, like, don't stop doing whatever you're doing. And, like, come over here and, like, start learning mm-hmm. about, like, painting or start learning about, like, these other, like, yeah. established forms of, like, making or art. Is, like, is that really, like, what should be, we should be teaching the future? No. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's about resources. Like, do young people have the space to f- kind of fuck around? Um, do young people have, like... I honestly wish I could just have, like, an open studio. I know a studio is... a uh, pop just like and also a western idea of where art is made because i also believe art is made and curated in the home um there's something about uh domesticity and like Mm -hmm. a home space or home spaces or where you live maybe you don't consider it to be home where art practice happens that is like oh that shit's good um and very like i mean black women as curators i mean bell hooks has that incredible essay in what book is it about how black women's uh like family photo books is Mm -hmm. one of the first forms of like contemporary art curation and how you like show people that book but we don't consider it that way and again she's still using like those western words of like curation too to validate that so like we can problematize that but i also think the home is an incredible space Mm -hmm. anyways i wish i just had an open studio where i could be like young people 
here are tools. Here's some people, if you have some questions about like, how do I turn this thing on and how do I do it safely? That's what I'm interested in. I'm less interested in being like, let's sit down for art history. I do think naturally some people will come to art history. Maybe is it called art history? Or maybe it's just like learning about what other people do. Um, but I don't think we should be indoctrinating people because I'm still, and I think forever unlearning the Western artistic bullshit. And I catch myself. I really catch myself being like, no, that's wrong. And I'm like, wait, why did I say that's wrong? Or like, I'll be watching a performance that bothers me. And I'm like, why does that bother me? Yeah. You know, especially when it deals with nudity, especially when it deals with sexuality and kind of like, um, I don't know. Like, I, I actually have gotten, like, scared watching performance sometimes because I feel like I'm like, oh, no, I shouldn't watch that. And I'm like, why? You know, when in reality, performance should kind of serve that ground of, like, pushing us. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of unlearning to do. And I never want it to come across as though I want children to be given the same shit that we were. I want them to be given more opportunities, more resources, and more room to fail. I think mm -hmm. failure is incredibly important. Yeah, like, I'm very sorry, we but I mean, piggybacking okay. off of that, um, you talk uh, a bit about technology, mm. um, and it makes me think about um, kids now versus kids back when I was growing up, where there was sure. no MySpace or Facebook or Twitter or social media, um, and like the privilege of growing up in a time where everything you did wasn't documented or archived in some way mm. um can you talk a little bit sure. about like how you feel um about these now ubiquitous means of like hyper communication that have changed art and the consumption of art um and like kids who are kind of embroiled in all of that yeah, I have super complicated feelings about social media because I'm the age where, like, <laughs> I'm going to tell my age now. Uh, <laughs> I had a MySpace when I was 12 or 13. Probably 13, maybe not 12. Mm -hmm. um, but so I don't really remember what it's like to not be a person that has images of themselves on the Internet. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah i struggle with how social media kind of like puts a wedge in i don't know our ability to see clearly our ability to engage with each other but then i also like have met some of i'm introduced to a lot of the artists that i love even in portland via social media mm. because we live on the internet sometimes i'm not getting out there to the parties sometimes i'm not getting out there to the galleries but i've met them via dms yeah um and i love what young people are doing with social media i think this little TikTok moment we're having is so yeah cool and is performative in some ways and um I don't know. I would love to lob that question to people younger than me mm. to identify their own issues with it, to identify where they benefit from it. Because kids born in 2000, like, 
even to say, they're 20. Yeah. Um, they have a completely different relationship, even though I'm only four years older than them type right. thing. Um, social media is difficult, but I also believe it's a medium with which Black contemporary art is happening. Yeah. Um, I saw Legacy Russell, and mm -hmm. I think y'all were there, mm -hmm. talk about glitch feminism, talk about the meme. And, I mean, after seeing her, I'm like, I'm convinced Black people are the internet. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I needed her to tell me that, but, like... Yeah, we're in, we're doing this we, thing where black people are literally creating all of it. Yeah. Running the gamut. Not all of it's great. Yeah. But a lot of it's great. And then watching it go to BuzzFeed and watching yeah. it go to Ellen DeGeneres. And <laughs> it unfolds in front of your eyes. Um, and yeah, I guess I'm more obsessed with thinking about the ways that black internet culture can remain our art yeah um i don't i don't know how that happens especially because it's wrapped up in a lot of laws we click yes yeah when we sign up for a lot of things and like i wish i had more media literacy to answer this question i wish i had more media literacy to know what i'm giving away and to know where my art goes and who owns it because I don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm like, I read through the entire clause on Instagram because I did it. I was like 15 when I created it. And that was that. I've already said yes. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if people younger than me are reading through it and are protecting themselves because I don't know. As social media grows, we hear more about people getting fucked over and they're more involved in these conversations. So maybe they are taking better care. I Maybe. Hope so. I hope. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. Um, but I was talking with a, a friend, and a, a, another black artist, um, and we were reminiscing about the time of Black Planet. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I've heard about that. <laughs> I was in my 20s when Black Planet was, early 20s when Black Planet was happening. And what was happening with uh, Black Planet was you had this media platform that was designed specifically for and composed mostly of black people. Were there non-black people on it? There was, according to the Wikipedia page, there were some. I never ran into them. But, like, <laughs> I want to talk to the non-black people who were on Black Planet. Oh my god! But like, it was it was black people getting on this platform, learning code to mod out their pages and play music and hook up with people and talk shit about pop culture. So I know uh, it's possible for a media platform to exist solely for black people. Yes. But for some reason, it seems so impossible now in 2020, which is very strange to me. Well, I remember Twitter when black Twitter was a different Twitter than what we're currently experiencing. It was like 2007 Yeah. And, and like, there was kind of like a run I mean, Tumblr. Oh, there Tumblr, was an yeah. area of black tumblr yeah. that like white people wouldn't even touch yeah. you know it was kind of like i keep doing things with my arms thinking y'all can <laughs> see me but you can't see me um but yeah i don't what do you hold on side question what do you think about solange bringing black black planet for um just this kind of like um i don't know marketing thing you feel anyway i feel a ways but i don't know if i want to oh for sure we don't have to talk about it no no i'm just kidding i'm just afraid to um upset the beehive but 
I just, I like Solange. I like her work. Um, but it felt to me kind of gimmicky. Mm. You know? Yeah, I do. What do you think, Max? Um, yeah, I don't know what Solange did. So. <laughs> she, like, reinvigorated Black Planet for the rollout of her album, When I Get Home. And it was kind of, like, taken over with her uh, media content from the album. So videos and, like, the architectural design stuff that she did, performances, all of that kind of, like, animated the homepage of, of Black Planet. But then after that, I think it was basically abandoned. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's what it seems like how MySpace is now. It seems like it really promotes music. Does um, it exist? I think yeah, it's yeah, still it, technically like you, it's yeah. a music. It's a primarily a music. So maybe like outdated. I think Justin Timberlake tried to reinvigorate it oh, at yeah. some point, which he tells you everything you need to know about where my space is. Thief. Right <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just waiting for the apology. Where's the apology? Why was a nipple? Uh, no, I remember being little and being like, "Why is that bad?" Because I don't. Because she was a black woman. That's all it was. The nipple isn't pink. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I remember MySpace when like Soldier Boy was oh, like, yeah. putting his videos up. Yeah, and I'm so interested in that as like a form of art of being like, I'm gonna upload my <laughs> dance video. That's fucking awesome. It might be gimmicky. Those tall tees were amazing. I'm obsessed <laughs> with tall tees right now. Um, I'm like going down a rabbit hole trying to find the best pictures of tall tees. I, I woke up one morning and was like, I have to look. Oops. Wow. I have to look at pictures of tall tees. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the internet informs so much of like what I do and what I'm interested in. Even things that I didn't even experience. Yeah. And I, to me, it's interesting to see how like artists like Lil Nas X, mm -hmm. who came up in that age and have this media savvy that people twice his age don't possess. Literally. Who like basically made himself famous off of that media mm -hmm. savvy. Well, he was a he um, was a Nicki Minaj stand. That's yeah. how he got his start. Yeah. Which I think he was is... he was he was a stand in every sense in that he was kind of a troll, from what I understand. And he still is a troll, and I think that's amazing. <laughs> like that song It was a troll. It yeah, was a troll. Was. Like he was trolling white people. I don't want to discredit any sort of <laughs> musical genius that I may realize later. Yes. But like that song is funny as fuck. It's hilarious. And I think it's special that 19 18 year olds can be like no fuck you i know you think i'm dumb mm -hmm. but i'm actually much smarter than you and not only that a black queer 19 20 year old exactly yeah period i think it's pretty amazing and he managed to tr to transcend the genre and jump his way into a whole other genre yeah is that i'm not a rapper this is country yeah <laughs> oh genre I mean, that's rife as well, right? I know. Yeah. Well, I think about like my work around house music and techno, and I'm like, hmm, hmm. This is also comes from like soul. It comes from gospel. Like where gospel informs house music is something that's like obviously very black to me. Mm -hmm. Like the church informs the nightclub, yes. informs the dance floor, yes. informs how we move our bodies. And like as a person who grew up without any religion, that has been a part of my research that has been fruitful and weird and challenging yeah yeah wasn't there um i forgot i forgot their name um some artists came i guess a tba several years ago but it was like um 
the conversation was around dance floor. Then I think Bart actually had a conversation yeah, with them. Yeah, Bart spoke um, at that talk, too. Yeah, but I can't remember the details. I feel like... It I was, for, it was during research. Pike a TBA. Yeah, it was during a TBA, but I can't remember which TBA or... I think that was 27. I think it was... 20, was it after we graduated or before we graduated? Probably before, so maybe... So 2016? or 15. One of those two, because that's what the only ones that I attended. It before. wasn't the. It wasn't 2015 because that was our first year. But it was still when Pike was at old Pika. It was, oh, yeah, over here. Or at least, at least the talk was there. Yeah, because like maybe they were doing things at both places. But. I'm gonna try and look that up while we continue yes. to talk. But um, I'm so. I mean, to kind of jump back to a few different points, I'm so interested in um your ideas and like opinions around performance, especially like as a <laughs> performance artist. Um. <clears throat> and then um, one of your quotes is uh, something you said is thinking about the ways that performance and body movement is evolving via technology, the way sound and music is evolving via technology. Um, I'm interested in like yeah, that and like how, like how it how it's evolving or how these things are working with each other. Good question. <laughs> I'm like I don't know. No, I just think about like. Um... I have, I was not given a huge education in perform, I had to find my education in performance art via the internet. So it starts in like a very like basic literal way is that like, I feel like performance artists, people still kind of hate on performance art, like in, unless it's a very particular kind of performance art, we could get into that too. Um, but like, I feel like black performance artists, there's a way in which technology in body and in like reality of like a phone amplifies um the work that they're doing um and like i feel like a lot of people i keep saying like so much sorry um i feel as though a lot of people are thinking about the connection between technology and our physical selves like having a hard time dissolving a line between like uh, vr and what we do right now um i'm very interested in how those things talk to each other i just went to a talk on vr (laughs) and um i know nothing about it so don't (laughs) consider me an expert but like how are virtual realities informing material realities and the ways that we move our bodies within them um is instagram a virtual reality or a material reality i don't really know Mm. like i don't and like when I watch it, when I watch a snippet of a performance on Instagram, I like to question like, are we a wit like through technology? Are we witnessing a performance or are we witnessing like something? Else? Are we witnessing technology? I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but like I think a lot about that because watching something is the part that I like. I like being present. At a performance, but I also don't have the opportunity. I mean, through working at Pika, I am privileged enough to get to see a lot of performance, more so than I was in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but like watching performance via a screen feels kind of antithetical to a lot of what I'm interested in. Hmm. But does that, can like for me, it's mostly just these series of questions. But can that change what I'm interested in? Yeah. Because I don't get to see a lot of the people that I'm incredibly interested in. Um, so yeah, I think about like technology makes me spiral about what things are real and what movements um, 
are just an extension of like digital platforms um, as people become more concerned with facial recognition as people become more concerned with being tracked um and there's like a hyper awareness of that artists are like putting some work some places and not putting it elsewhere or you'll never see it on the internet like what does that mean for performance art if it never exists on the internet um does it happen mm. yes i mean i would argue yes because some of the best work i've ever seen i can't find on youtube um it just like happens um but yeah i'm increasingly concerned with like how we differentiate between i don't know cyber something in reality um especially as like those instagram little people like little michaela you all know who little michaela is no oh she's a she's literally a computer animated kind of like racially ambiguous queer created like sim that has millions of followers on instagram who is interested in contemporary art what? interested in black fashion interested in queer culture interested in da -da, like check the list of the cool the cool person and that person's that it's michaela spelled m-i-q-u-e-l-a Okay, what kind of spelling is that? Mm -hmm. What what what's the etymology for that? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think a lot about how like things are generated, and what does it mean to actually go see things. Not that I want to be a purist, you. <laughs> oh my gosh, I literally hate arts people who are like, you have to see it in the flash. I'm like, you have to live in the moment. You have to see it. I'm like, fuck you. Is it accessible? <laughs> but for real, like, is it accessible yeah. to see those things? Right. Probably. With um, with all that said, this is a little self-serving, so forgive me. <laughs> Please um, serve yourself. I love this. I have a I have a performance coming up. <laughs> and <laughs> shut up, are you really gonna okay. Shut up, Melanie. <laughs> love it. I, I love a, this. I have a performance um October third and fourth that um I would love for you to come to. <laughs> I'll come to it. Yes, I love being at things. Um, I won't record it. I promise. No. Just kidding. Um. That's amazing. I love coming to performance. I am hungry to see more performance as I increasingly exist in the digital realm. There's something very refreshing about performance. And I hope we learn to use technology for good instead of evil. That feels dramatic, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because like I've, I personally feel like... Um, there's kind of an insulation that happens when you're on social media where you are surrounded by people who probably have similar ideologies mm. and you kind of fool yourself into thinking the rest of the world is like that. And I'm seeing that play out with black folks, certain black folks who are surprised at like the outcome of the elections and Biden and surprise <laughs> who clearly just don't talk to older black people, you know, because if they had, they would have seen this coming right it's just very confusing like uh, i've seen a lot of black folks on twitter who are shocked and surprised that mm -hmm. bernie didn't win are you really <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know it's very easy to create again create that reality yeah. of like we are all cutting edge in some capacity and that's it like yeah. i even have i should probably 
take a step back too from my own social media because I very much so created my own like realm. Like, oh, we are all talking about Jatavia Gary today and that's it. We are only talking about that. And while I love that and shout Jatavia Gary, like Mm -hmm. brilliant. um, It's funny when that's the only thing on your feed, especially when it comes to art, like when you're not seeing anything else. And I think that's where performance gets sticky. Mm. Um, That's where I get a little like, oh, what are we doing here? Yeah. I don't know. And to see a performance in a room full of people that, like, maybe you hate some of them makes it funky. You've, you've been there. That's one of the things I, like, I enjoy about, like, being at a performance and, like, watching a performance is, like, I feel like I do spend a lot of time watching the audience. Yes. How they're, like, taking the performance or, like, oh, is that person enjoying it too much or, you know, like, all these things. And I, like, I feel like I'm... It's all the spectacle. It's not just, like, the performance. It's, like, how the audience perceives the performance, how this audience, how these, like, other bodies in the space, right? Because, like, we're all looking at these, like, bodies, like, before us do these things, but then we're also, like, the other bodies in the space that are, like, also yeah. in this shared experience. And it's, like, that, you know, what what is the performance when I'm, like, oh, what is this person doing? I could be watching this person next to me. The whole performance and, like, you looking at their reactions or looking at their non-reactions or... All these things are, like, especially when, like, certain performances become, like, difficult or it's, like, those moments of, like, tension where you're, like, should I look away? Should I not look away? Those kind of moments. And then, like, looking at other people, if they're, like, easily looking or, like, you know, or more excited or, like, yes. getting, like, some type of joy. Or, like, you know, like, all these things. Like This is, no, you're literally <laughs> getting to something. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a few performances, and I feel like this is okay to say, during TBA last year that I, like, took particular issue with just around sp- spectacle spectatorship body whatever um and i found myself watching people who were like and this is not to like i'm not trying to be messy i'm not trying to hate on anybody who were at ease when i literally felt in my body i was like oh my gosh i have to like i i've left performances before because i was like oh no i can't engage in that kind of spectatorship Mm -hmm. this is this is something else um so yeah i often think about or like when people laugh during aspects of performance that yes. I'm unsure of why they would think it's funny. Yes. Or when I laugh because I'm in on the joke. I've also been the person who's inappropriately laughed at things before because I didn't I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe that comes out of discomfort. So I'd never be like, I've never done the wrong thing <laughs> about the performance. Because as I grow and as I learn and as I try to be a better person... I learned that sometimes it's not okay. But Portland, Oregon, we deal with a lot of laughter at performance when it's like, oh, wait, hold on, reel it in. That's not funny. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think spectatorship is one of the more interesting parts. And I don't see an audience as separate from a performance. Um, And maybe that's problematic. No, I think think that's good. I think, yeah, like audience is another like material of the performance. I also think, like, Portland, it seems like um, the Portland performance audience is so, like, maybe it is, like, uncomfortability or, like, how do I show that, like, I appreciate this thing or, like, whatever their, like, mindset is, but it's so quick to applause, like, the moment they think something's over. And it's, like, there's never, like, brief time or, like, should we sit here? Should, is, should I even applause to this? Like, the performance is over, but does that, like, necessarily mean, oh, it's all just, like, applause. It's, like, really, sure. like, automatic response and it's so immediate too i feel like especially with like portland audiences just like 
so immediate. It's theatrical yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have to be honest. Some performances are difficult for me because of the audience. Like Me too. Because there have been some performances here, especially in the beginning when I first got to Portland, where I just sat in rage for the entire duration. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I just, there's a part of me that wishes there were an option to have like an all black audience at some point. Yes. Or <laughs> like, how can we make that a thing? That would be cool. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's something that I've, I took for granted in Atlanta, I guess. Sure. So. Should there be like, maybe like partitions? <laughs> like here's like the non-black people can sit on the side and you don't have to see them. And then you can sit over on that I'm side. Kind of like, I know you're like giggling right now, but I'm like, but I'm like half awesome. serious. I'm, like, I'm, I'm half serious with you too, and I don't know what that means about us. <laughs> no, yeah, I think I've never been in an all black audience for a performance before. I don't. No, I've been in a majority black audience for a performance oh, okay. before. That's pretty good. Um, but there's always non-black people who make themselves very known. Oh. The ones that get on Black Planet or go to the HBCUs. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, I'm invited to the cookout. Yeah. You know, it's that. They're, they're the ones that always have, this is more of a comment than a question. Oh As my God. <laughs> And they're first to raise their hand. Actually a two-parter. <laughs> <laughs> so shut up. But I'm like, okay, but how do we hold space for it to be like, I'm not answering questions from white people. I don't know how that. I mean, we've so done that. Have you all done that? Yeah. We had uh we've done that with several. I I know um and there've all there've been actually like specific stipulations. Like I know for the show um that we helped put on with Manuel Arturo Brio and Sidonio O'Neill yeah. here at PNCA. Um, yeah, they didn't want to take Manuel, any, any white questions. But specifically, no white questions about Afrofuturism. Oh, right. right. No, Afro-pessimism, right. sorry. Which yeah. is a different thing. <laughs> but then, yeah. yeah. Oh. And it, I, it, was, it was a 97% white audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you can say that. Will people listen is a whole different thing. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe if you were there, I don't think you were there. But when um, Autumn Night came to um, mm-hmm. PNCA, I was there. And then there was like a, a white guy that had like the same last name, and then he was like, "No, I don't identify as white." And um, and then like that was like a little segment of her, of the like the performance or the piece. But then he like slipped out <laughs> through the yeah. back like mid performance. Wow, that yeah. insanity TV, right? Yeah, yeah, that. That performance, but I still, like, wake up in the middle of the night and think about it because it was, like, a TV. Yeah, that, again, was, like, a virtual reality for me. I was like, oh, we're existing on multiple planes. We're kind of, we're, like, glitching because we're in a studio audience, but also we know this is a performance, but also I would like to take this person incredibly seriously for their craft. And But I was also, like, nervous to be called on type thing. It made me confront, like, where am I in my body? Where am I in this space? Why am I nervous to be asked a question? It was, like, anyways, that's an aside. I think Autumn Night is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well... I guess we have come up on the time. Parting words. Parting so words. it's time for parting words. Max, you first. Okay, 
my wait, party. Wait, wait, sorry, oh. sorry. Before we get to party words, Ray, what's up? Where can people find you on the social medias? Oh. Or <laughs> y'all already follow? I'm kidding. <laughs> no. um, it's my name backwards, which is silly. I should probably call. Ray is like taken on everything. Oh, every older black woman. <laughs> Ages seventy five to ninety five. All the aunties. Me. All the aunties have my handles, and I'm a little pissed about it. But you can find me at. Oh, I'm like, how do I spell my name backwards? Y a r a l l e on everything. Do you ever like pronounce it or say it? People say it's Yarale. I've oh, had a lot of Yarle. people. Like, Yarale. It's so nice to meet you. And I'm always like, <laughs> like, what are you supposed to say? It's like kind of sweet, but uh, that's not my name. My name's Ella and. You don't have to call me my full government. You can just call me Ella. <laughs> um, but people seem to like it. Yeah, you can find me there talking shit. All right. Listen about tall tees. <laughs> <sighs> when, I, uh, when I did an internet search for you, the first two people that came up that weren't you were uh, two different white women. Oh! <laughs> I love that. One, can that be my bio? One, that's my new bio. One is an Ella Ray that's from Antwerp. That's an R&B soul artist. Period. A that's white who, person? Yes. That's who I moonlight as. A white person who <laughs> makes R&B, but I'm from Antwerp. Right. And then the other one was an Ella Ray that died in 2017. Oh. A white lady, but at 109 years old. Oh, period. Oh. Longevity. Yeah. Okay. Oh. I... Just random tidbits. <laughs> I actually really enjoy that. <laughs> that might be a new project. Is right. figuring out who the LRAs are. Nice. Um, but my parting words are: thank you for being here. It's so great talking to you. Um, I hope we can have more conversations. Yes. Um, Natural Project, who all gonna be there? Thank you to my co-host, the amazing Melanie Stevens. Um, so amazing. Um, and then my parting words uh, is a quote from Ella uh, from Ella Ray. In 2020, Ella Ray is making some things. I am. <laughs> um, well, first of, all, first of all, I would like to thank Ella Ray for visiting us and saying all of the smart, brilliant things about Art World, which is a hard thing to do because... The art world, in large part, is neither smart nor brilliant. No, it's neat. It's whatever the opposite of smart and brilliant is. That's it, what we're doing. It's chaos. It's beautiful, but chaotic, and hard to decipher most of the time. Yes. But you make it make sense. Um, thank you, Max. You are my favorite art partner in crime mm. by far. Please see what's up. <laughs> and my parting words are be safe stay hydrated and please 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 wash your hands oh yes oh yeah <laughs> yeah thank you not turn project um ella ray do you have any parting words mm, mm, yes thank you both this was so much fun i've never been on a podcast before but like i like podcasts now because of y'all <laughs> um Thank you for creating space for arts people, black arts people to, I don't know, lob some difficult stuff at each other and just kind of like work it out in a, in a podcast format, which is very difficult um, <laughs> to everyone else. I don't know. Unfollow the people you don't like from high school. Oh, yeah. You know, cleanse that shit. If you're going to spend a lot of time on the Internet, 
I don't know, maybe curate that space where we're only seeing what we want to see. And, but then, like, read the news. Yeah. <laughs> and know what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I have to say for now. I'm sure I'll come up with something later. Thank you both. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.